Well, good morning again. Uh, and just in case you don't know, uh, this is my lovely wife, Terry. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> She's along for the ride, too. Well, we're going to take some time this morning to just kind of share about our experience of in Israel. What are, um, yeah, what are maybe some things that we saw and learned and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, whenever uh, this was one of those things that was on my bucket list, um, it was something I've been praying about for a long time. And so I kind of went in. Uh, not sure what to expect. I mean, um, I mean, I've been to other parts of the world before, but I, there's just something about Israel, you know. And so, uh, I didn't have a lot of expectations. Didn't know what to expect. Um, yeah, and it just blew my mind when I came. It was just, it was way more than I could uh, expect. As we were in these different places. Uh, over in Israel. Yeah, um, I would I would just agree with that. I I really didn't know what to expect, um, uh, but it really hit me this morning when we're singing "Holy, Holy, Are You" and your name is above all names. It all started there. That's mm-hmm. that's where it started, and that was like kind of mind blowing that we are able to sing that here because of what happened there. And so, um, yeah, I hope you're ready for the next three hours. We're just going to unpack <laughs> a little bit. That's what we talked about. Two weeks, we're going to try to put in 30 minutes. Yeah, good. Yeah, so. there's, there's too much. There's so much. So we're excited to share at least tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah. So here's, um, we're, this map is going to pop up a number of times. This is the map of Israel during the time of Jesus. And so we're, we're going to use this just to point out different places that we were at. We didn't hit, um, one, we didn't hit every place in Israel in our two weeks. That would be impossible. Almost. And two, you're not going to hear about every place we went to because there's just no way we could do all that. So, but when we, uh, our trip started down here in Joppa, old city of Joppa, which is today Tel Aviv. And then we went up the coast, and we visited places along the coast. And right here is a, a big city called Hafa. It, it wasn't in existence back in Jesus' day, right in that little bay area. And then we crossed over here to the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum and hung out there for a few days, came down the Jordan River, was down by the Dead Sea, and Masada way down here. And then we went back up to Jerusalem right there. And then we went back to Joppa and flew out. So that was kind of the loop. And then we were driving all over as, as we went. One of the places that we went to is um, this Decapolis. Decapolis stands for, there's 10 Greek cities that were, uh, at the time of Jesus, that were there. And um, it, in the Gospels, a couple of times it says that Jesus went to the Decapolis. Well, that's in this area, and that's these 10 cities there's one right here that um, in the old days was called Bet Shion, and um, during Jesus' time, um, it was called um, Scythopolis. Say that five times really fast. Uh, but there's something uh, interesting that I wanna, we want to point out about Bet Shion when we were there. This is a picture from there in 1925. 
Okay, so you, you see that nice big mound there. That mound, <laughs> there's a fortress up there. You can barely see it. Um, they, tradition has it that's where Jonathan and Saul were hanged at the end of Saul's reign um, in, in Israel. So that's where that happened. Now, notice that, that this is all flat, all right? Um, now take a look at this place today. Underneath all that dirt at the base of the hill was this city. Yeah. So, <clears throat> all these, you're going to, all this stuff was below that dirt. This is what archaeologists do. What archaeologists do is they look, they see what's on the surface. And if they notice that there's maybe lots of pieces of clay from pottery or that kind of stuff, they start digging. And as they start digging, they start finding stuff. And these are all pictures from that city. And one of the things that we learned in our time there is uh, it's important for us in our journey with the Lord to go deeper, to go below the surface. In fact, for the Jewish people, they kind of have um, four ways to see Scripture. One is the simple story. So like the story of Zacchaeus. It's, just, it's the simple story of Jesus calling out to Zacchaeus. They go, they eat, and um, Zacchaeus' life has changed. But then there is a second um, part and that is, there's a hint about a meaning. So as you read the story a little deeper, you get a hint at, to the meaning of the story, why the story is there. And as you read a little deeper, all of a sudden you see that there's a deep teaching within, some deep lessons to be learned as you dig deeper. And then for Jewish people, they talk about there's the fourth way to see Scripture, and that is that in the story there's a secret. And that secret is revealed by the Holy Spirit. So personally, and for each of us, the challenge is as we read Scripture, as we dive into these different stories, that yes, take in the simple story, but dive deeper. Maybe there's a secret in there that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you. And this message I take for me personally and for my family, and even for us as a church, as I think of my own story. It, it is a simple story, but yet as I dive deeper into my own story and my own history, I see God at work all the way through, and there are many lessons to be taught. Another place that we were able to see was Caesarea Philippi. And Brad's going to show you where that is. And you know what? I'm going to be just completely honest. Before we went, there were many places I couldn't have found them on the map before going, you know? I mean, it was kind of like I knew they were places in the Bible, but this 
like opened up so much to me. And what was really, really cool is Caesarea Philippi is where uh, Jesus took his disciples to ask them a very important question. Um, It's in Matthew 16. And what was really amazing to me is I read the note on Caesarea Philippi, and this is what it said in my Bible today. To be distinguished from the magnificent city of Caesarea, which Herod the Great had built on the coast of the Mediterranean, Caesarea Philippi, rebuilt by Herod's son Philip, who named it after Tiberius Caesar and himself, was north of the Sea of Galilee, near the slopes of Mount Hermon. Which is kind of hilarious. That was a little aside. I grew up going to the Bible camp, Mount Hermon, and you hear our our guide, Mount Hermon. I'm like, oh, Mount Hermon. (laughs) Just doesn't cut it. Anyway, originally, um, continuing in the, the notes, originally it was called Peneus. The ancient name survives today as Benias, um, in honor of the Greek god Pan, whose shrine was located there. The region was especially pagan, which cracked me up because I'm like reading all this and going, oh my gosh, I, I walked where that's talking about and where it says the region was especially pagan. It was just pure evil. <laughs> it was evil beyond belief. They... Um, it was, it was wicked. It was a pagan worship city. In fact, rabbis of that day forbade a good Jew to come here. It was significant that Jesus brought his disciples there because it was kind of a throwdown of, you're done, Satan. You're done, enemy. And I'm coming straight at it. Because he went... Um, against the enemy, both the seen and the unseen, and all that it had been doing and would be doing. So when they dug up the archaeological site there, where the sacrifices were made, and I'm going to say this very gingerly, um, they found human remains, very small bones. You know what I'm saying? So there's nothing new under the sun, is there? Hmm. I mean, we look at our world today and we go, oh my gosh, we are, we're going to hell in a (laughs) handbasket. The handbasket was made a long time ago. (laughs) It's, It's just amazing. And so there were things happening there that were like unmentionable, the things. And in fact, when they dug it up, they took away all those bones so there really wouldn't be that, it wouldn't be so, like, icky. Okay? So, Jesus takes his disciples there to ask them the question, who do you say that I am? How significant is that? This is the center of pagan worship. Who are you going to worship? Because look, look what is happening in your community, in your culture right now. Even if the culture is worshiping someone else, who do you say that I am? This is the city, this at Caesarea Philippi, it was the city of Caesar, because he was the king, small k. Who do you say is king? Who do you say is Messiah? 
Where is your allegiance? Because there's only one king with the big K. Mm -hmm. So who the disciples think is king is pretty darn key. And the cost of them saying that he is the king is death. So this was no small question. And as we go there and, and walked those areas, it, it was just astounding. This is also where Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my kingdom. Now, you are Petros. That's a proper noun. On this Petra, which is a noun, it's been debated throughout the centuries. Mm -hmm. It's also known as the bedrock. So maybe it wasn't just one person limited, but a bedrock, which is a community. It's you and me being that God is going to build his kingdom, which was just a beautiful, beautiful thing Mm -hmm. to note while we are there. Okay, so right there, those were literally... Those, um, that area right there was known as the gates of hell. And they were standing at the gates of hell proclaiming who Jesus was. The ironic thing, too, I just think, sometimes I just think God just giggles a little bit (laughs) at, at the things that happen, you know? Because that is also the place that is the traditional site of the transfiguration of Jesus. Isn't that great? That's so cool. So this is the first time that I had a backdrop for all of those things, the who do you say that I am and the transfiguration. And so it became, it wasn't anything that I just read on a page anymore. It became Mm -hmm. Mm three-dimensional, which was just astounding. And so the other question for me is that, Who do I say that Jesus is? Who do we each say that Jesus is? There are a lot of choices, spiritually and culturally, and we need to really determine and take a stand for our Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Another place that I'm going to talk about is this Joppa right down. We hear that city in the Gospels and in the New Testament uh, a couple of different times. That is where the present city of Tel Aviv is. Uh, the, the interesting thing is that Tel Aviv is this metropolis. I mean, it is growing like crazy. There are cranes everywhere. Um, and uh, Joppa was considered, and still is considered to a certain extent, the gateway to Jerusalem. So when David built his palace or Solomon built the temple, all the materials that they got came through Joppa because you got Joppa right there and you got Jerusalem right here up on the mountain. So they, you know, they would come by ships or come you know, and then take it this way. Or if, if stuff was coming from up here, it would come along here and then down to here and then in. Or up here, up to Joppa and then in. So it was considered the gateway to Jerusalem. They have a monument that is there. Um, and this monument, uh, it, it's, it's a little hard to pick out initially, but this is a picture of 
all of, of the patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the, then the 12 tribes. It's all part of this thing. But they built that monument there because of just that significance of that it's, it's the gateway. Uh, Joppa is also where Peter was. And if you remember, Peter went to the home of Simon the Tanner, uh, this see the house house of Simon the Tanner. Um, now, tradition has it that that's a house, but as time has gone on, more and more scholars are going, nah, no, nah, that's not really the place. But it's kind of cool, right? Um, but and that's one of the things that it was nice about our tour guide. Um, he he just often would say, this is where tradition says. So understanding that sometimes uh, we we don't know for sure. But Peter was at the, at the house of Simon the Tanner when he had the dream. And then because of that dream, and then Cornelius was up in Caesarea Maritime. And uh, Cornelius sent some of his servants to go get Peter. And I'll, I'll go back to the map a second. So here's Joppa, and this, there's Caesarea Maritime. So Peter was here, Cornelius was here. Cornelius sent servants down here, and then the servants and Peter went back up to Caesarea. Now, <clears throat> today that would take us, you know, hour, hour and a half to drive, but it was a, it was a couple of day walk um, up there. Um, the other thing that is significant about Joppa that we learned is that is where Jonah went when he hopped on the boat and... Uh, our, our tour guide talked about the language of descent. The language of descent that you find in the Old Testament is, is a language where you're moving away from God. So Jonah was in Nazareth when he received the call. He went down to Joppa. That's what, and, and if we were to go back, it's down. And he went from Joppa down to the boat and then from down to the boat into the sea. And so each step as Jonah went, he went farther and farther away from God. Now you turn that around to the language of ascent, the language that moves towards God. And so um, you hear going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the center where the temple is. The language is often up to Jerusalem. And so Jonah was told to go up to Nineveh, and so even though Nineveh was this evil place, because he was being sent there by God, it was the language of ascent moving up towards. And so eventually, as we know the story, Jonah did go up to Nineveh and preach and tell them to, told them to repent or God's going to destroy them, and we know that God did not destroy them. Interesting thing in that whole story that we sometimes don't often think about, and that is this, Nineveh was a part of Assyria, and God sometime down later, a number of years later, would actually use Assyria to take the Israelites into captivity because they disobeyed God. So, as our tour guide said, Uel said, um, there's a picture of the sovereignty of God here in that God sends Jonah to Nineveh to have them repent. 
So he doesn't destroy them. And because they're not destroyed, then God uses them to take Israel into exile. Where, if they wouldn't have repented, they would have been destroyed, and then Assyria wouldn't have been there. Now, what does that mean in the whole scope of things? Well, it's a little hard to, to wrap our head around that stuff. But that's part of, you know, for Terry and I as we went here, that's part of digging deeper into some of the story that we, we heard. Um, Terry's going to talk about the Jezreel Valley now. Okay, so the Jezreel Valley, this was a very, um, just a, a super interesting, just everything was, but Jez means seeding, and the Jezreel Valley is the seeding of God. What's interesting about this, okay, it goes from Egypt to the Mediterranean Sea, up past Tel Aviv and Joppa. The international roadway. The, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll do this together. So the international roadway. Okay. So up to to Haifa, then across to the land, um, to the Sea of Galilee, and then up to Capernaum. In that whole area, that is the Jezreel Valley. Now, what's really interesting when you think about it, literally, it was the historical battlefield throughout history. I cannot imagine DNA testing in that area. That's kind of like a crazy thing to think, but the amount of DNA that is there from so many different places is unreal. It is also the place of Mount Carmel, where the Carmelite Monastery actually um, is today. And we went there, and it is, it's an actual active monastery, and it's just beautiful. Carmel is the vineyard of God. And when you get up on the mountain, you can see for miles and miles around everywhere. And you could see why it was the place that was the high place where they would be able to go and see who was coming from where. Just unbelievable. This is also historically believed to be the place where Elijah went head-to-head in battle to the prophets of Baal. And we're used to saying Baal, but it's actually Baal. And it is just totally amazing. That was the time when Ahab, who was a very bad king, was the king in the north, and he was married to Jezebel, who tried to get rid of all of the prophets. And Elijah was spared, and, um, but Ahab and his wife, they gave in to the idolatry that was going on. And you read in the Old Testament where they would put in the high places um, the Asherah poles or all the different idols. They'd put, that's where they would go and, and put them. Well, Elijah, I love this, when he goes to the people of Israel and he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Like, come on, let's see this, this battle. And it was a throwdown from, with Elijah and 450 of the prophets. It may be a very, very familiar story to a lot of people here, but seeing where this was was absolutely amazing. Short story is, they both, I mean, here was the test. 
we're both going to sacrifice to our God, you to Baal and me to Lord, the Lord my God. And let's see who God is. So Baal went first, the prophets went first. And they danced around and they, they invoked their God and nothing happened. And it was hilarious when you read it because Elijah was like, yo, is your God sleeping? Maybe you better yell louder. I mean, he just taunted him. And just was like, hmm, what's going on there? Is he not hearing you? He taunted them. They started, I mean, it got to the point where they were cutting themselves and trying to appease their God. Nothing happened. So then it was Elijah's turn. He asked them to pour three times, not once, not twice, but three times, pour water on his, his sacrifice and the whole area around the sacrifice. And then he called on God. Can you imagine being Elijah at that point? Come on, God, man, come through. <laughs> you, you gotta. I mean, look, everybody's watching here. Well, sure enough, from heaven comes the fires that lick up all the water, it says. that Everything, nothing was left. And then, of course, at that point, That's when the people go prostrate on their face and they say, the Lord, he is God. He is God. What it takes, you know. And and we read that and go, man, they were idiots. And then I kind of apply this to myself and I go, how many times has God shown up like fire from heaven? And yet I'm still going, "Mm, I don't know. Can he do this? He is God. He is God. Oh, my goodness. There was so much, so much there. Um, We could also see where Elijah, there was a... um, uh, a drought going on. It was dry, dry, dry for three years, and water is life. That was a theme that kept coming up, kept coming up. And that was the place where we could see where it says that Elijah put his head between his knees and prayed to God and asked for water and asked his servant to go and check seven times. And we were standing where we were looking over the Mediterranean Sea. That's where it says there was a, a cloud like the size of a hand. Mm-hmm. And that was the storm that rolled in. And it was just so crazy to stand at that same point. And um, so the things that I learned under the surface of this, of standing there, was that, again, there's so many times where I'm looking for God to prove himself when he's already proved himself over and over and over. And the question of how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And we're even able to drive by and see the mountain where all of the prophets of Baal were destroyed, literally destroyed. Nice. The next place uh, that I'm going to talk about is Megiddo. Megiddo is... um, so Mount Carmel is, is up here, part of the Jezreel Valley. On the south side of the Jezreel Valley, right where all these roads come together, this, that, that would have been Megiddo. Megiddo is also another high place where you could see. And it was built on this important national trade route. Part of the thing that, um, because of this mountain range right here, Egypt, when they wanted to trade, they had to come up here along the coast 
and then go through the Jezreel Valley right here, and then they could continue on up into uh, Assyria and whatever. So this was the national or international trade route. And Megiddo was right smack dab in the middle. So you had many, many layers of, of cultures that were there. And this city's been around forever. Um, it was also the place where uh, King Josiah was put to death, even though he was a good king. Um, Megiddo is also the place where they think Armageddon will happen, that we read about in Revelation, because Armageddon, Arm means mountain, and Geddon is Gido, is, is the short form of Gido. So for many scholars, they think that that is the valley, the Jezreel Valley, and right around Megiddo is where Armageddon ha- will happen, where all the nations of the world will gather. So it, it was interesting just to be there, and, and to think about, well, if the Armageddon happens, this is most likely where it's going to be. And as Terry mentioned earlier, that valley has seen battles throughout the centuries. It's like war-torn over and over and over again. Um, yeah, so that's just a little picture of... We're on top of Megiddo, and you can see, and then that is Mount Carmel right over there. So you can see right across, right across the valley. Um, let's move on to Capernaum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Capernaum, these, these are some pictures from Megiddo. We're just going to rush through these a little quicker because our time is getting away. Again, we're trying to pack in two weeks into 30 minutes here, so that's... That's almost uh, impossible. So, um, sorry, I got to find where I'm at here. It'll come. It'll happen. All right, we're back to the map. Capernaum is along the Sea of Galilee. Here's the Sea of Galilee right there. Capernaum's right up there. What is significant about Capernaum? And the Capernaum is called the town of Jesus. Because this is where Jesus spent most of his time once he started his ministry. Um, so just, um, you can see the city there. This, that's the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. This is also, Capernaum is also the city where Peter's mother-in-law lived. And so when we read about Peter's mother-in-law getting sick and Jesus coming and healing uh, her and the disciples being around them, that's, that's all right here in Capernaum. This is just a cute picture of our family in Capernaum sitting on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you'll notice my daughter's right over there. Uh, <laughs> she, uh, she wasn't sure she was going to be here today. She had some work stuff going on, and so that's why she's not up here sharing. Otherwise, uh, you'd be here for another hour after that. So. Another main thing that you hear about a lot are the Dead Sea Scrolls. And being able to actually go down to the Dead Sea and actually see it and experience it was amazing. What was incredible is what I love about this, our big thing, you know, you hear this so much science. It's got to be science. Well, this is science. I love that. Because the Dead Sea Scrolls passed the science test. But I want to give you a little bit of a history of 
the people that actually wrote the scrolls. It's unbelievable. Only men were in this location, and it grew by the people joining or welcoming orphans into the area. It was about 200 men with incredible commitment, clearly, writing down everything. And um, the Dead Sea was much higher then, but what they would, I'll, I'll tell you about how they got their water, because that was just totally amazing. But first of all, they, um, they were on a trial basis for a year, and then it was voted on. It was the first island, you know, vote them off, vote them <laughs> on. I don't, you know, we think we're so original. <laughs> anyway, so um, they would start their day in prayer, and then they would have their mikvah, which was a cleansing that we're going to go into later. Yahad is unity. And that was something that was very, very important because they would go to eat, but they couldn't go in if they were off on their unity with somebody. They couldn't experience eating together. That was too important. So they had to figure that out, find that unity again to be able to break bread again together. Now, the mikvah was an amazing ceremonial washing. It, um, it's where the water was collected from flash floods. You could see it's very desert. So it would be the flash floods, and then they had this ingenious way of damming the water and, and collecting it where they need to collect it. But the mikvah, you'd think about the ritual baths of cleaning off the dirt, but a mikvah was preparing yourself and cleaning yourself for what you're about to do. It wasn't getting the dirt off, but becoming pure for what was ahead. And that just really, that just hit me hard. But they had all kinds of places. I mean, they did everything there. They made their pottery. They did their food. They did their sleeping in the caves and everything. And to give you an idea... For those of you who don't, aren't familiar with this story, in 1947, it was actually a young shepherd boy just looking for his sheep. And he went into the caves, found the, um, the scrolls. But what's interesting, what was of value to him was the leather that protected the scrolls. That's all he saw as value because he could make shoes out of that. Then it was actually an, an antiquity expert in Bethlehem that realized that it was ancient text. Can you imagine what mm. he, I mean, that's what he lived for, and that's what he did. Six nations came together to collect the scrolls to save, collect, analyze, and translate. It was considered the greatest archaeological discovery of the 20th century, and the locals actually, isn't this again, humanness, found pieces of it just to sell. They didn't care about saving it. They are like, oh, and this is worth something. I can get some money. So they had to be careful of that and collect all the different pieces to make the whole. But they actually did find scrolls that were in perfect condition, stood the test of time, passed the whole science test, and still said the truth that was being told through the centuries. So, for me, the digging beneath the surface, the mikvah, what are we called to, and how does God want to cleanse us for what he has called us to do? And do we have our eyes open for the treasures that we find, or are we missing the value 
and just seeing the leather for shoes rather than what God is doing. Another thing that really hit me was um, Jesus, and we all, we've heard about the, the storm on the Sea of Galilee and when Peter got out of the boat and all that kind of stuff. Our guide pointed out to us that not long before us was the story of Jesus casting out the demons out of the demon-possessed man. And they went into pigs that went into the sea. So he pointed out, which was like, oh my gosh, when he silenced the sea and stilled the sea, he was just stilling the enemy and saying, enough, be quiet. So it wasn't just the wind and the waves. It was the enemy himself. Done. Just thought that was so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the last place we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, is Jerusalem, and then uh, just each share a couple of things that really stuck out for us. And so Jerusalem was the end. Jerusalem definitely was a highlight. There was there's so many things that we went and saw there. Whether it was walking through the four quarters, Jerusalem is divided up into four quarters. There's the Christian, the Jewish, the Muslim, the Palestinian. Um, and it was amazing walking into each quarter, and each quarter took on the culture of the people that were mainly in that area. And then seeing, you know, the traditional sites for the crucifixion, um, seeing the uh, wailing wall, seeing the place where Jesus sweat drops of blood. Um, they, they have a, <clears throat> there's a, um, a, church that is built over this area by the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's, in the middle, there's a rock that tradition, again, says that's where Jesus wept, and that's where his blood landed, um, which was interesting. And then to see the, the city of David, and um, then <clears throat> probably my favorite is King Hezekiah's tunnel, or maybe not my favorite, um, but... and. King Hezekiah's tunnel is, is, is a tunnel. It's a 500 yards long through the bedrock. And it was built during the reign of King Hezekiah because Assyria was coming and was going to lay siege. And if they didn't build a tunnel to have water going from one side to the other, then eventually they'd run out of water. Um, and so they built, this, they built this tunnel. Now, you have to understand, this is in bedrock, so it's rock. And it's got water this deep running through it. And we walked it. Now, the tunnel is almost as wide as my shoulders, so I spent the whole time walking like this through this tunnel. It's pitch black. I didn't know what his problem was. Most of the time, the, the, the top of the tunnel was about right here. Her, me. <laughs> yeah, see, right? Um, but it was, uh, it, it was intense because, again, it was 500 yards. And we, all, we had, you know, lights from headlights or, or, or uh, you know, headlamps or uh, phones and that kind of stuff. But it was an intense experience. And especially when you find out that Israel is right along one of the, the greatest fault lines in the world. And they've had earthquakes. So you're in the middle of this bedrock in the middle of a mountain and... <laughs> You know, my mind went to earthquakes. Needless to say, I had 
probably about 30 seconds of really high anxiety. Uh, but then we got through that, and we continued to motor on, and our, our uh, guide told us, he said, you know, when I asked him about earthquakes, he says, hey, there's been earthquakes going on for over 2,000 years, and this place hasn't, you know, disappeared. But that was, that was kind of fun. Um, the other thing is we got to meet a colonel in the Israeli uh, army, and it was interesting just hearing him talk about the difference between Israel and America. Israel is very communal in their culture. America is very individual. So a couple examples he gave uh, was like in America, we have Boy Scouts, and Boy Scouts, you earn badges, and if you get all your badges, you become an Eagle Scout. So you as a person, you earn, earn the badge. Um, he said in Israel... Nobody would get their badge until everybody earned it. And I think we sometimes we read Scripture, especially the Gospels and the New Testament, with that individual mindset, and we miss the deeper story as we talk about going deep. He also said, um, in Western thinking, you build bunkers to make sure you're safe rather than making sure that everyone else is safe. Or Israel, they fight to protect their family and friends where the U.S. fights to protect his interests in other parts of the world. Uh, the last night we were there, we were out for dinner, the three of us, and we met this, uh, our waiter. His name was Halil. Halil had served in the army for his required two years. You would look at Halil and you would go, he's not a soldier. <laughs> he doesn't even look like a soldier. And yet when we talked about it, serving, it, it's just what you did. There was no question. And your mindset is different when your enemy is on your back door. We went through, driving through different parts of Iran, especially around Jerusalem, where we saw the Israeli guard and they had their machine guns and there was checkpoints and there was one place where we stood and we're, we're in Israel, but you know, you, you look right across and Syria and Jordan are right there. You can see them. They're right there, and there's fences and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and there, we would see fighter jets flying up and down the Jordan River from the Sea of Galilee down the Dead Sea and back, and it, it was just um, a, a different, different mindset. Uh, we got The other thing was in the Mount of Olives. You know, that's where the Passion story stand, starts, and it's where Jesus ascended. Um, oh, right there. See that? Oh, is that still there? Oh, it's moving on. I wish I could get that to stop right there. That's the tunnel right there. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> I saw that. Um, and then the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's something that was just really interesting as we were standing in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yes, that's where Jesus and his disciples were. That's where he was when he prayed. Um, and our guide told us that Gethsemane, geth means to crush or pressure, and semene is to get oil. And so the Garden of Gethsemane is, is the place to crush in and to get oil. And we got the opportunity at one of the sites we were at to see an oil press, and that'll be popping up here in just a minute um, but part of that oil press, there it is, 
that's, that's an oil press, that round thing right in the middle. They have a rock that goes around and it drains off and it just shows um, how that is all done. The interesting thing is that they don't press the olives once. They press them four times. After the first pressing, that oil goes to God. It goes to the temple. It is the first fruits. It's the best. That goes to the Lord. The second pressing is then taken, and that is meant for nourishment. Um, you know, we, we had bread, dipped it in olive oil. Let me just tell you, the olive oil over there is different than the olive oil here. <laughs> Way better. Um, the third pressing, then, that oil is used for healing and cleansing. And the fourth oil is then, that is what is used for burning and for lights. And so for the Jewish people, the pressing olive oil represents um, the anointed one, God, and then it's nourishment, and then it's healing and cleansing, and then it's direction. And our guide told us this, he said, you can't have the anointing without the crushing. And I think um, the deeper thing for me that I walked away from that is that oftentimes we want to see God at work in our lives. We want to see the anointing of God in this place, but we're not willing to let God crush us. We're not willing to allow God to do what God wants us wants to do in and through us. Um, we're going to wrap up here uh, by some of our personal takeaways. Uh, there's so much more to share. One, Terry had talked about the mikvah, um, which is a cleansing for the future. And so uh, the three of us, we did a mikvah. All three of us had been baptized, so this was a mikvah for us. This was a cleansing as we moved, ready to move forward in what God wanted us to do. So we did it together. It's a way of saying, God, whatever I've done in the past, I repent of. Cleanse me. Use me for what you have for me as we move forward. Okay, we can switch that. <laughs> okay, move it along. What's wrong with that? Okay. Um, this, this is a replica of a fishing boat that Peter would have used. They found a boat uh, in you know, one of the places where they'd done some archaeological dig- digging. And so science. We, science. And so we got to... We got to ride in that, um, and so that was fun. There's a cute picture of us riding in there. Uh, we got to float in the Dead Sea, which was really weird. You weird. Know? Super weird. Yeah. Um, and then um, just a little mini miracle I had, uh, and I've already shared this with some of you. Um, some of you know that my back is all messed up. In fact, um, I had an MRI done not... <coughs> only about a week or so before I went to Israel. <clears throat> and our lovely uh, Dr. Ademeyer told me that I have a back of a guy who's been laying brick for the last 40 years. And so, um, and so 
anytime I would walk, I would start getting pain in the lower back and go down my right leg, and I've got, you know, arthritis and all, all that kind of stuff. And so a number of you prayed for me, prayed for healing, and I appreciate your prayers. And uh, my, my thing with God was, God, I just want you to know I'm going to hike wherever the group goes. I'm not going to let my back stop me. I'm just going to do it. And so I did. And the miracle is that I went everywhere the group went. And there was, most of the time, I would be hiking and there would be no pain in my back. Again, let me, let me remind you of that tunnel. 500 yards walking like this. What does that do for an old guy's back? I came out of there with no pain. Now, I mean, I'm back here and I start walking around and pain starts showing up again. So I didn't have a healing healing, but I had a miracle. God gave me, and this is the deep thing, God gave me the grace I needed to do what I wanted to do. So I'm going to ask that you keep praying <laughs> that we get that miracle. We'd love that. So um, I, there were so many things that stood out for me. One is that if you ever go to the Dead Sea, they're serious when they say, do not let that water get into your eye. <laughs> it's like 33% saline. So yeah, I just got this little Burns. drip and I was just like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And you can't wash it out, you know, you can't do anything. So I finally was able to flush it out, but it did literally burn my eyes. So just, you know, a little heads up. <laughs> so, um, but for me, water was so significant um, that we kept seeing where back in the day, it was just the way they did it, where they would depend on the waters flowing in, figure out a way to catch it in a cistern, and be able to have their water for all their different things. Well, diseases would come because the water would get nasty, you know, which highlighted, yes, see, hallelujah, <laughs> but would highlight where Jesus is the living water. There's such a difference between stagnant water and flowing water, water that is alive. And that was just such a beautiful thing. And getting baptized together is such a huge highlight for me. That was, that was so cool, besides the Mediterranean food. Okay, so then um, people that hit, I mean, were so important for us. Yoel, this is Yoel. He was our guide for the two weeks. Phenomenal man of God. Loved Jesus, loves his country, and loves just bringing the truth of it out. Gifted I mean, teacher. Uh, yeah, such a gifted teacher. And so he would go deep, and it would be for a, a point. And his whole everything, the whole tour, culminated in Gethsemane. And it was just beautiful. We had um, communion there together in Gethsemane. Um, so that was awesome. We also were able to go to um, the, a place where survivors of the Holocaust are staying. It's kind of basically a, um, a retirement home for Holocaust survivors. There are 194,000 remaining survivors of the Holocaust. 
And we got to talk to one of the women there. We were blown away at really how much she looked like my mom. She was 90, my mom's 91, and they looked so so familiar in everything. She talked about when she was 8 years old, taken from her home, and became, uh, began the Holocaust journey. It was, it was so painful, so unbelievable. Um, and then we were able to visit with Carolyn and Richard Hyde. They are, um, they, she's Jewish, grew up Jewish, and became a Christian. And just seeing what they deal with and how they reach out to fellow Jews to help them to know Jesus. There were just so many, so many people that we met. And God, we'd love you to meet them all. Um, but the other thing, too, that we realized is don't, and we kept hearing over and over, don't believe the news. That's the thing. News, as we know, is made to be this um, fascination and trying to, the fear, if they can make you fearful of things, and they can control your thinking. So you need to find your source, your true source, for knowing what's going on there. Um, yeah. So, um, and along with that is, is just recognizing that Israel and what's going on in Israel is way more complicated than anyone newscaster can give you, okay? So pray for Israel, yes. Care about Israel, but know that if you're listening to one voice about Israel, you're only getting a small part of the story. And that is the biggest thing that we learned um, from there. Every Israeli, as Terry said, that we talk to and we'd ask, what do, we, what do you want Americans to know? And that is, don't believe what they tell you. It, it's different over there than what the news tells you. Um, thank you for, um, you know, praying for us and supporting us. Uh, I want to say thank you even, um, I just want to get back to that picture because that's way better uh, than, than pizza, right? Um, thank you for giving me the uh, freedom to be on the sabbatical for the last six weeks. It, it really was a Sabbath rest for me. And I want to just say out loud thank you to all the staff, to Eric and Chris and to John and to Gary uh, for all that they did to pick up on stuff, to the elders for all the extra stuff they did, and some of you others that I know you stepped up to really uh, give me freedom to do that. I, um, so I just want to say thank you for that. Um, so, sorry we kept you way long, uh, but there, there was, we, we're, we were cutting stuff out as we're going through this presentation this morning. So let's stand together. And as we leave, first of all, I'm going to just proclaim the Shema, the Shema, which is, in essence, the Jewish people's declaration, declaration of allegiance. We know this, but listen to this and make this your declaration of allegiance today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen. You are dismissed.